We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Notre Dame fans, welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. My name is Brian Driscoll. I'm the publisher at irishbreakdown.com. And bad news is today I'm doing the Irish Breakdown mailbag solo. I think the good news is we're doing a mailbag. The bad news is is that Vince D'Addario has been under the weather the last couple of days, and he will not be able to be on the show with me today. But uh, he will be hopefully with us tomorrow. We'll see. He's going to have a busy couple of days, so he's got to try to Get a little bit healthy. So we're going to dive into a mailbag today, and, and there was a lot of good questions. We're going to break it down really into four different categories, and I'm going to kind of go category by category. Category number one is going to be some team questions that, that you all submitted. Uh, then I'm going to have some offensive questions, some defensive questions, and then some recruiting questions, with most of those questions focusing on the 2021 recruiting class. So I want to get to as many of these questions as possible without the show going incredibly long. So let's dive right in. The first question, uh, some pretty um, – the team questions were, were, were pretty interesting. Uh, I think there's some people that kind of want to see where Notre Dame goes to take the next step. So just keep that in mind as we look at these questions. The first question is from Cham Jell, and he asks, is there a reason uh, Kelly coach teams show a lack of fight when they get down against non-inferior opponents? Watching other elite teams, they get down a couple scores and show an ability and willingness to come back. But outside of 2015, it seems Notre Dame rolls over when they're hitting the mouth early. Uh, I, I think the first part of that is I don't know if it's a, a lack of fight per se would be my opinion. I think I don't think they've had an offense capable of coming back. And I think that's been a flaw in the philosophy that Brian Kelly has really had for much of his career. 
Um, you know, you had mentioned when they get down to non-inferior opponents, I, I think, I think Arizona state would be the, be the one example that I would point to where Notre Dame did kind of battle back. But then again, they ended up losing by multiple scores, even though they were down big, came back, got within three points and still lost in convincing fashion. But, you know, when you look at the Clemson, the last two Clemson losses, uh, you look at the games against Alabama, you look at the game against Michigan in 2019, you know, a lot of these games where Notre Dame does get back down early, they they don't rally back. We just haven't seen that. Miami in 2017, uh, Stanford in 2017 when Stanford kind of pulled away. So I think part of it is just not having an offense that's really explosive. You mentioned outside of 2015. Well, what was different about that 2015 team? That was Notre Dame's most explosive team. That, that team set a Notre Dame record uh, in yards per play. They averaged seven yards per play. Uh, and even though they weren't a great scoring team, uh, finishing 34.2 points per game, that was an explosive team. And so you look at the Clemson game, for example, what got Notre Dame back in that game? It was a 56-yard wheel route to C.J. Procise. You had two huge pass plays from Chris Brown and Will Fuller that got Notre Dame back in that game. You look at the game against Stanford, you know, they never really got down big against Stanford that year. They they kept going back toe-to-toe with Stanford. And, and again, a big reason why was big plays. They had a 90-plus yard kick return by C.J. Sanders, who was by far Notre Dame's best return man and explosive return man during his career. He had a long touchdown pass from Will Fuller. He had a 62-yard touchdown run from Josh Adams. So, again, it was big plays. That offense was capable of ripping off big plays. Um, the 2014 team that came back was, again, a team that against Arizona State was a team that had the ability to, to rip off big plays. So uh, before that that season just kind of went down the tube. So I, I think that I think it's it's an offensive scheme that has prevented them from being a big play offense. I think, you know, I think that team had the, the kind of athletes that you could do it. And I think they utilized it. I think Mike Dembrock did a good job utilizing that. We haven't seen that same level of utilization the last couple of years. Um, for whatever reason. And and I think that's a big reason why this Notre Dame team not only hasn't been able to, to come back and, and come back, but also finishing off games, had an opportunity to fin off, finish off. The reality is in, in both of the losses to Georgia, Notre Dame had the ball in the fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter with a chance to win it, and they fell short both times. Didn't even really threaten either time, and I think it's an offensive system. Now, I think – to your point about the lack of fight, again, I, I don't view it as a lack of fight. So I gave you my opinion. I'm going to share with you an opinion that I've got from some people that I know close to the program over the last five or six years. And th- again, this is this is what I, I'm sharing with you. I'm not inside the program, so I can't tell you this specifically, but this is what I've been told by more sources than I wish I would have been told this by, is that when there's there's been a lack of faith at times, um, in coaches, uh, a lack of faith in the head coach from far too many players. And I think that defensively, it hasn't been, been as big of an issue in recent seasons, which is why you've seen the defense when they fall behind early, kind of buckle down and, and start making some stops. We saw them do that this year against, uh, Alabama and we saw them do it against, uh, against Clemson. I think that there hasn't been that same level of faith on offense that they were going to do what they needed to do. And, and I don't know if there's a, confidence level that that in the head coach that that he's going to be able to kind of push the right buttons and say the right things to kind of get them back so I think that's really what, what you, where it comes from and I've had other people tell me that again I'm sharing with you opinions I've got from others I'm not giving you my opinion on this that uh, when the when the team gets down um, that it's 
the the nature of the program is that they are a sort of a business like program. There hasn't been a lot of emotion in in kind of injected into the program. Uh, it's just not the way that they're run, which is more professional than it is a college team. And so you don't kind of have that that energy, that fire that when things aren't going well, um, they don't respond well. And and I think this year was a, a good example of that. Actually, is I thought this team played with a lot of emotion, a lot of energy this year. But the reality is they were they were winning or in every game. When they got down to Clemson, we, we didn't see that. We didn't see that same energy level. And 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 you know, I just kept thinking in my head what I've been told by other people that there's just not the faith in the staff that uh, more so offensively that they're going to push the buttons to be able to get them back in it. So um, that's an interesting way to start the the show. But I, I tried to find a more positive one, but a lot of these were kind of that way. Jeff asks, what is holding Notre Dame back? The most in postseason games against elite teams, a lack of five stars at skill positions, the offensive scheme philosophy, or quarterback play. Um, I would go with the second two on that one. You know, I, I think that the offensive scheme philosophy is very stale. It's a ball control offense. And as I've pointed out time and time again, you cannot win championships with a ball control offense in the modern era. You're just not going to do it. Um, I think they've had the playmakers. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, you can't convince me that that a team that had Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool and Dexter Williams and and Ian Book, who's 30 and five as a starting quarterback at Notre Dame, or what did he finish, 30 and six, something like that, um, you know, that that team d- didn't. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed have better talent than to score three points you're telling me this team didn't have better talent than to score 14 points against Alabama or 14 points against Clemson in the ACC title game um they scored 40 the first time they played them uh so I mean I just I think it's a quarterback play but I think at the end of the day I think the system holds them back I think the system holds this team back and and that's really going to be a key theme of of what I talk about this entire offseason and this podcast is until Brian Kelly's willing to to make this a modern, explosive, up-tempo, attacking offense, they're just going to continue to come up short in big games when it comes to points. And this isn't a recent thing. This has been true Brian Kelly's entire tenure. So that that's going to have to change. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed. 
Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Jeff also asks, Brian Kelly wins a national title in the next four years if, exactly what I just said, if he finally relents and allows the re- his staff to develop a, an explosive, attacking, aggressive offense that's not afraid to make a mistake. You know, I think – I think there's one of the things I've been told is that that from some very trustworthy sources is that there's there's a kind of a fear of Brian Kelly with some of the offensive staff, um, and and when you look at who he's surrounded by now, it's a former quarterback of his, a guy that's been with him for twenty years, and you know there's a fear to really challenge what he wants to do offensively, and that's kind of why him and him and Chip Long sort of butted heads is Chip wanted to do a certain way and Kelly wanted to do it a different way and. And he replaced Chip with somebody that wanted to do it his way, or at least would do it his way. I don't know if he necessarily wants to do it his way. And, and so, and we saw what we saw this year: a team that 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 scored thirty three points a game. It's a very mediocre scoring number, and a team that in the game was pretty awful on offense. So uh, he he can blame it on talent all he wants, but the reality is, even if talent is what it is, uh, they need to be in a more explosive offense. And, and I'll even argue this. Jeff, if if the talent is lacking, let's just grant Brian Kelly's premise and the spin that he's trying to, to make about how they just lack playmakers and how apparently Miles Boykin, Chase Claypool, and Dexter Williams isn't, isn't enough explosive playmakers to score more than three points on Clemson. Let's grant that premise. Then you would even more so want to create a more up-tempo, explosive offense because here's the reality. Brian Kelly has said this. I'm, I'm taking Brian Kelly's words. You can you ha- defense is more about players. It's the Jimmys and the Joes, people like to say. Offense, he said, I can scheme my way into points. Well, why aren't they doing that? They're they're not running a system that schemes their way into points. They're running a system that is basically saying our players are better than your players, and we're going to go out there and basically run a game plan that allows them to just be better than your guys. But there's not going to be no creativity, things like that. We're just better than you, and that's why they continue to lose to teams that are on their level or better. And look pretty bad offensively in most of those games. So if you lack talent and you you believe you lack talent, then you need to start scheming your way into more points and, and ways to do that. As we see teams across the country doing, we see North Carolina doing it. You're telling me North Carolina has significantly better talent on offense than Notre Dame? I don't buy it. And they scored over 40 points a game this year. So I, you have to scheme. You have to. It has to be more up tempo. It has to be aggressive. He's willing to do on offense. What he's done on defense, which is get up with the modern times, run a modern defense, allow the offensive staff to run the offense they want to run, not the offense he wants to run from 2012, but a 2021 offense, then I think that could be the thing. Because I I think there's enough talent for Notre Dame to go toe-to-toe with anybody. Are they quite good enough to beat teams regularly? No. Are they good enough talent-wise to on on a given Saturday if they can force Bama into some mistakes beating Bama? Sure. Are they going to beat Bama five out of ten times if they play? No, they're not there yet, but they're not real far. Uh, and I think now you've got a quarterback on campus again, and you you know you lost one that went to Boston, but you've got one on campus again that has the talent to be that kind of quarterback. But he's not going to be it if you don't change how you're developing your offense and how you're running your offense. David Tracy says, based on your interactions with players, coaches, and recruits, what are the back office unrelated to playing, coaching this team, and football or weight training issues Indy should be addressing this offseason? 
facilities, recruiting staff, team building, better communication with stakeholders, coaching contracts, getting with other staffs to talk shop. So I'm going to, I'm going to go back to, I, I don't, you said unrelated to back off, you know, what are back office unrelated to football or weight training. I'm going to add one to that. Actually. One thing that I've heard constantly is, is Matt Bayless that p- kids love Matt Bayless, strength program, but the nutrition program isn't still on the level of other programs. The, the meal situation is still not on the level of other programs, top programs. Um, that, that needs to continue to be enhanced. I think the nutrition program is coming along, but and it's not the people running it. It's just the resources there that they have to then give to the players has been an issue, and I've heard that that, that needs to change. Facilities are not an issue at Notre Dame anymore. Notre Dame can absolutely compete with a lot of teams. I mean, they're not going to have jungle gyms and slides and things like that, and they don't need that. And if a kid is going to Clemson over Notre Dame because of a slide, that's not really a kid that you you necessarily want or it's going to pick Notre Dame anyway. I do think there is merit. So when they say that, Notre Dame's facilities are have grown tremendously the last decade. That's not an issue anymore. Recruiting staff, I think there's always room to improve that. The back office recruiting staff, I think there's room to build that. I think that's something Marcus Freeman advocated for when he was when he was going through this process is needing more of that. Team building, I, I, look, that's just about trust. There's not a team building thing you can do. At the end of the day, if the players trust the coaches, and they feel like the coaches trust them, that's where team building comes from. Uh, better communication with stakeholders, I, I, that's not I, thats not really my area of expertise. Coaching contracts, I think, again, they're competitive there. That's why Marcus Freeman is here. Uh, and getting with other staffs to talk shop. I, I think a lot of coaches do that. I think defensively that's probably happening. Uh, offensively, I think that needs to happen more. There's really nobody that this staff can talk with that's running what they run. Um, I would love to see Tommy Reese and, and Lance Taylor and John McNulty and – and Jeff Quinn and the staff be allowed to say, "Hey, look, here's your task. Get us on, get us on pace with the other top offenses from a scheme standpoint. Allow our players to to be put in that." And I think that's something they certainly could and and should do when when you talk about th- things that are needed. So those are the areas that I would focus on. Next, let's look at the offense. Chan McGill asks, compare Tommy Reese as a first-year OC in 2020 to Chip Long as a first-year OC in 2017 as both a coordinator and a recruiter. I think as a recruiter, Tommy Reese still has a ways to go before he's going to be on on Chip Long's level. Chip was a dog on a recruiting trail, Um, and Tommy is is on his way but still needs work. But also, when Chip was his first-year offensive coordinator, he was 34 years old, I believe. Uh, Tommy Reese is, is he, so he had a lot more seasoning as a coach. He'd been at Arizona state for several years, had been an offensive coordinator at Memphis. So I think he had more experience doing it. I think the offense in 2017 obviously was far more explosive than the current offense, uh, and, and was averaging over 40 points per game against a much tougher schedule, uh, than what we've seen in, in 2019. For example, Notre Dame in 2020, 2017 beat, um, I think four top 25 teams, including two top 15 teams. Uh, this year, they only beat two top 25 teams. Uh, that was a very challenging schedule. I think that at the end of the year, they they played eight, seven or eight top 25 teams in 2017. They only played four this year. Uh, so I would say that that offense was a little bit more explosive, a little bit more dynamic. I think, I think the 20, and I think that was true with the 20, I would argue the 2020 offense probably had a little bit better at least weapons i think that in 2017 um you had guys like cam smith and freddie canteen 
Uh, Brandon Wimbush, quarterback, was a first-year starter, whereas Ian Book was a third-year starter. Running back, I think you you probably a wash, although I'd say the 2020 running backs proved to be a little bit more uh, – could stay healthy a little bit more. Um, so I would argue maybe maybe better weapons in 2020. I just think that they better utilize those weapons in 2017, and they had a dynamic quarterback for much of the year. And once he stopped being dynamic, that's when the offense kind of went down the tank. So um, some similarities, but I, I think that Tommy Reese has got a bright future. Just as I said all along, it, it, it was never about is he good, is he talented, could he do the job. It just was is he ready to be the guy that they needed in 2020. You know, I, I think I think we saw the answer to that one. RF Fulmer asks, are there any clues who the leader of the QB room will be, or will he just be handing off to the running backs ground and pound? I, I think we're going to see some running next year. I, I, I'm still hopeful that Brian Kelly is going to make the necessary changes. They're not going to have the offensive line to try to run the offense next year that they ran this year. It's just it's not going to be the case. I I think the leader in the quarterback room is going to be Jack Cohn, and I think that's who it should be right now. I Look, I, I'm, I'm high on Jack Cohn, and I, I know a lot of people aren't. I know a lot of people look at his numbers at Wisconsin and they're kind of dull and they're not real sexy and you watch him play and he doesn't, you know, he's not a, doesn't have a big arm. He's not a great athlete. I think he's a good quarterback. I think he's a kid that's played in some big games. He's, you know, they, they had Ohio state down in the second half of the big 10 championship game. I thought he played well that game. He's played in a, a Rose bowl. I mean, he went toe to toe with Justin Herbert uh, in that Rose bowl. I think they lost by a point to Wisconsin in that game. So I think he's a good quarterback, and I think if you allow him to run a system that allows him to use his decision-making and accuracy to his advantage, I think he could be a very productive quarterback for Notre Dame. I'm afraid they're going to have him run the same offense we saw last year, and, and that's just that's just not going to be any fun. But, uh, but I like Jack Cohn, and, and even if Tyler Buckner is every bit as good as I think he can be and everybody else thinks he can be, I, I still think Jack Cohn should be the starting quarterback next year um, for, if not all, most of the season. Uh, Gormas Orr, my friend from Ireland, says, what is the likelihood that inexperienced quarterback position will see Kelly re-simplify the offense, and in what ways could that help less experienced players at the other skill positions? Now, we've seen this before. Uh, 2012 was an example. 2015 was an example. 2017, to a degree, was an example where Notre Dame had young first-year starters at quarterback. In the, in the case of 2015, they had a first-year starter quarterback. Then he got hurt, and they had a redshirt freshman who I don't think had ever played a snap, and Deshaun Kaiser stepped in. And and then, obviously, Everett Golson in 2012, and they simplified the offense, and I think it 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 worked. I mean, it, it allowed them to, to get the job done. Now, again, they were still not philosophically oriented to allow them to, to you know, score the points they needed to make, but it was simple for them. They could execute and it made it easier for everybody. And I think we need to see some of that this year, but I think that needs to happen whether you have a first year starter quarterback or a third year starter quarterback. I mean, look in today's era of football, every team in the country except Notre Dame is moving towards offensive philosophies that take pressure off the quarterback mentally and the players mentally, instead of adding to it, Notre Dame is doing the exact opposite, which is a big part of the problem. Cham Joe asked, does adding Diggs and Estime, those are the 2020 uh, recruits or 2021 recruits at Notre Dame signed, Logan Diggs and, and Audric Estime, to Kyron Williams, Chris Tyree, and Sebo Flemister make this the most loaded Notre Dame backfield of the Brian Ke Kelly era com compared to some of the Holtz era backfields? Um, well, it's, I mean, let's just take the Reggie Brooks. Jerome Bettis backfield out of the equation because that's a little unfair. That's a Hall of Famer in that group. 
Um, you know, I, I think this group stack has a chance to at least stack up well. I mean, there's a lot this group still has to prove. Kyron Williams had a really good season last year. He averaged 5.3 yards per carry. That's 0.6 fewer yards than Tony Jones Jr. had in 2019. Um, significantly lower than what – I mean, Dexter Williams and Josh Adams were both over six yards a carry. Um, uh, Tony Jones was 5.9 yards per carry. So we need to even see more from Kyron. I don't really blame him. I think part of that was because teams knew that they were going to run and there was no RPOs. There was no very little really effective play action and, and rundowns that really kept teams honest. And so – I think that factored into why his yards per carry were lower, but they need to use Chris Tyree better. We don't know how they're going to use the young guys. So there's still some questions about how this group is going to be used. But from a pure talent standpoint, I love this group. I think it's got a chance to be as good, if not better, than any group that Brian Kelly has had. You know, and, and let's talk about what have been some of those those really good running back rooms. 2017, yeah, Josh Adams, Dexter Williams, Tony Jones Jr. Those three are all in the NFL right now on NFL teams. Uh, then you also had Deion McIntosh on that roster. You had C.J. Holmes, who was a four-star recruit. 2015, you had Torian Folston, start of the year, got hurt. So then what do you do? You go to, uh, to C.J.'s pro size. He rushes for 1,000 yards that year. Uh, he gets hurt. You bring in Josh Adams. He sets a Notre Dame freshman rushing record. And you also had Dexter Williams on that team. So that was a pretty loaded group. Uh, 2012, you had, Tor you had um, uh, Theo Riddick. You had Cyrus uh, – excuse me um, – Sierra Wood, you had George Atkinson. Uh, 20, 2010 actually was a pretty good backfield. You had Armando Allen, Robert Hughes, Sierra Wood, and Jonas Gray. Uh, but, of course, you didn't – not all those guys got utilized, and it was Brian Kelly's first year, so they didn't necessarily play great, but it was a pretty good backfield. And I think this, this backfield has a chance in 2020 to be Notre Dame's best, and I think it brings some of the, the dual threat ability that the 2012 backfield brought to the table with Theo Riddick catching over 30 passes out of the backfield that year. And then you had Sierra was kind of a home run hitter. I think Chris Tyree can serve that role, but even more explosive. Uh, and then you've got the freshman hammer. So if used correctly, I think this backfield has got a chance to be excellent. I just, I need to see that it's going to be used correctly, but I'm, I'm excited about what this backfield could be. And, and the other thing is maybe you lose Kyron after 2021, if he has a big year, which certainly could, is possible. But he's about the only guy that's going to – I mean, he's the only guy that – I mean, Sebo, you know, if he leaves, he leaves. But, I mean, this is this is going to – next couple of years could be really fun at running back for Notre Dame at, at that position. Uh, Jeff asks, Daryl Hazel, former head coach at Purdue and assistant at Ohio State, has said that Marcus Freeman's defense will be, and he, quote, simple for the defense but complicated for the offense. Shouldn't that be exactly the exact philosophy on offense as well? Yes, it should, Jeff. Um uh, I appreciate that setup question. Yeah, it, it, that's kind of what it needs to be. I mean, look, you you need to be able to have players playing fast. You need to be able to have players playing confidently. You can't have a lot of guessing. You know, you can't have players lining up and, and wondering which one of my four route options am I going to run here. Um, you know, there, there just needs to be more certainty. And that's true for the quarterback and the receivers. Look, if your offense is so complicated that young, talented players can't figure it out, then they're not the problem you are as a coach. And that needs to get corrected. So, um, yeah, they need to get with the times and simplify things and start relying more on the talent than relying on trying to prove how smart they are as coaches. And that's primarily a Brian Kelly thing, not a, not a Tommy Reese thing. Frank Anthony asked, who do you feel will start on the offensive line? So if I had to predict, 
who the first offensive line will be when we get to spring. I'm going to say it's going to be Jarrett Patterson at left tackle, Dylan Gibbons at left guard, Zeke Carell at center, uh, Josh Lug at right tackle, and then right guard probably be John Dirksen maybe day one, but I, I think that'll be a battle. Um, I think we could see some guys move there, and I think four of those guys, right tackle, center, left guard, left tackle, I, I feel confident are going to be starters when we get to the fall. But the right tackle situation could could – shake some things up i think we could we could see a situation where maybe they feel the the young tackles either andrew Kristoffit, quinn carroll or tosh baker maybe even blake fisher as a freshman uh can come in and, and ha- they're better suited at tackle than moving to guard so then they can move josh lug to guard but i think lug will be there on the right side somewhere whether that's tackle or guard is going to depend on who that fifth person is and if jo- john dirksen will get a chance i think he'll get a chance to kind of prove that he's taking the next step, but he's going to have to, I think the leash is going to be very, very short with him. So he's going to step up quickly. David Tracy asks, how does coach Alexander factor into the situation? We see at receiver with lots of talent, but not many receivers rotating onto the field. Uh, what conclusions can we make about his coaching, recruiting, mentoring relationships with players and offensive staff? So I'm going to touch on the first one to begin with. I think Coach Alexander, to a degree, has kind of become a whipping boy for problems that don't really have anything to do with him. Um, from everything I've been told, if Coach Alexander says, hey, this guy should play, and Brian Kelly says, no, that guy should play, then then whoever Brian Kelly wants to play is going to play. And I'm told that that happens a lot on offense. It doesn't really happen on defense, which is why the defense has gotten better the last three years. Um, is because And the problem is, look, Brian Kelly's a smart guy. He's used to be a great offensive mind. The problem is, He's not as involved in the day-to-day as he used to be. And if you're not as involved in the day-to-day, you shouldn't have as many strong you know, opinions on what should be done on a day-to-day basis. And that's kind of my frustration is he's still micromanaging the offense way too much. And, and that needs to change. And um, I think we see that at receiver, for example. It's not Dell Alexander's fault that the system is so complicated that young players can't figure it out. And this is something that's happened before Dell Alexander was the coach. Some people have pointed to, well, what about 2016 when Kevin Stefferson played? Okay, two points about that. Number one, the exceptions don't define the rule, number one. Number two, let's remember that year. Kevin Stefferson wasn't really playing in the opener. I think he played one or two snaps in the opener until Torrey Hunter Jr. got hurt. He got knocked out of that game, got hit in the end zone, missed the next two games. That's when Kevin Stefferson stepped into the lineup and started playing well. Also about that team. After Torrey Hunter got hurt, who were the other receivers on that team? Equinemy St. Brown, sophomore. Miles Boykin, sophomore. Uh, Chase Claypool, freshman. C.J. Sanders, sophomore. That was a very young receiving core after Torrey Hunter Jr., so you didn't have any veterans to rely on after that guy got hurt. So, of course, Kevin Stefferson's going to get a chance to play. That same year, Chase Claypool caught five passes. That was it. And again, that's there's just was no excuse for that. So uh, this has been going on before Dell Alexander got here. This has been going on for a while. This is a Brian Kelly problem, not a Dell Alexander problem. Now, I think the problem with Dell Alexander is he has not done a good job of of preparing the young players. I think he too quickly just accepts the fact that the veterans are going to play. And I've been told this year after year after year with different freshman class after different freshman class, once the season starts, the freshmen kind of just get kind of pushed off to the side. They're no longer coached the way that they, that they should. If you're trying to bring them along, they're just either running scout team or backups that don't really get the same attention and coaching uh, that they need to get. That's on him. And and I think part of that is, is because 
he's been told this is who's going to play and and he, that's who he's focusing on. And I think that's a mistake and I think that's a bad coaching job and I think he's done a bad coaching job. I think Dell Alexander's a, a, came to Notre Dame with a good reputation as a receivers coach. I think it was earned and deserved. I just don't think he has kind of shown the willingness to challenge the status quo at Notre Dame for whatever reason. And because of that, he's just kind of gone along with the flow. And that's why we've seen what we've seen him from a receiver. Now, veteran players, he's done a really good job with, you know, helping Chase Claypool develop into what he was as a senior, helping Miles Boykin develop into what he was as a senior. Those are all impressive jobs, but it shouldn't take receivers with their talent. I mean, we're talking about guys that had freaky athleticism. Why did it take until their juniors and senior years for them to really become impactful players? That that shouldn't happen. That that can't continue to happen, and and that's ultimately on him. But I still say that the the blame lies at the foot of the head coach, who's still micromanaging that position too much. Dave Ramsey asked, with the claim that Notre Dame didn't have any explosive players at wideout, why didn't Jordan Johnson get more reps? If there's a lack of experience, why not get the five-star frosh more playing game time, simple plays and assignments? It doesn't make sense unless there's an issue there. There's no issue there with Jordan Johnson. And the same, the stuff we heard about traits and all those other kind of things was very reminiscent of what we heard the year before when fans and, and some in the media started calling for Phil Dracovic. We start hearing the little chirps behind the scenes and we know where it's coming from. It's not players that are selling out their teammates it's it's coming from people in the football office about well he doesn't work hard and he doesn't have the traits and all this other kind of stuff which is throwing players under the bus instead of actually taking accountability for your decisions as coaches which is really frustrating for me but um it's because they the offense is look here's the deal go listen to marcus freeman's press conference and i'm gonna have something up on saturday at, at our breakdown about this. he starts talking about we need to adapt the system to the players and that's what good coaches do. And that's what Clark Lee did. The, you watch the defense in 2018 and then go watch the defense in 2020. It does not look at all the same. He didn't have the corners in 2020. He had in 2018. So we didn't see them. We didn't see as much. They protected the corners more in 2020. I talked to someone who's an ACC coach that played Notre Dame both seasons. And he said, yeah, the things they did with their corners were way different. And they just because they weren't as good there. Uh, the linebackers were different players in 2020. So they adapted to the skill set of their players. Um, Dalen Hayes was a different player than Julian Equara. So he allowed Dalen to play the game differently. That's good coaching on offense. It's this is what we do. This is what, and if you can't fit what we want, then we're going to find somebody else who can. And, and that's just to me, not the way to go. It's, Hey, who are our best talents? Let's figure out ways to get them involved. If it's five snaps here, if it's 10 snaps there, you know, let's find him. Like you said, give him something that he can execute and allow him to develop. And they didn't do that with Jordan Johnson or, Xavier Watts this past season and they didn't do it in 2018 with Braden Lindsay or Lawrence Keyes either and you know they tried to do a little bit Kevin Austin but by the end of the year he he wasn't in the mix at all and, and so obviously it's it's been a it's been an issue for a while but that's just you know again it's the philosophy and it it's it, there's no adaptation you're either you can either pull it off or you can't I mean this is the same offensive coach or head coach that said that Chris Tyree was nothing more than a guy that gives Kyron Williams a breather no other offensive mind, a great offensive mind in the country would have said that about a guy like Chris Tyree. It's just, just wouldn't happen. SQS, who do you think will be our starting wide receivers on opening day? And do you think, and who do you think should be our starting receivers on opening day? I actually think that will be the same. Um, I think that it, it, assuming he's healthy, I think we'll see Kevin Austin starting at receiver. 
uh, in the boundary. And I think we'll see Avery Davis starting in the slot. I think the X, the X to me is the, is the question mark. And, and I think, you know, Braden Lindsay will have a shot, but I don't know if Braden Lindsay's a guy you want starting. I think Braden Lindsay's a guy that you want as kind of a role player, an explosive role player, but, you know, limit his snaps to 25, 30 snaps a game. The reality is he can't stay healthy. And if you play him 50, 60 snaps, it just increases the odds that he's going to get banged up. So use him as a change of pace guy. When you get him in the game for 25, 30 snaps a game, make sure you have some stuff geared towards him. Move him around. You know, don't just have him always in the outside. Put him in the slot. You know, motion him. Do some different things with him. I'd like to see kind of a battle. I think Joe Wilkins will probably start out there, um, and understandably so. But I'd like to see Jordan Johnson and Xavier Watts both get a chance out there. I think I think those are two guys that absolutely need to play. I, I think Jordan Johnson will also get some time in the boundary, but I think he's a guy that can and should move around a little bit. I think Xavier Watts is a guy I'd like to see out there a little bit as well. So um, ultimately, at the end of the day, if Notre Dame has a receiving core of Kevin Austin and Jordan Johnson on the outside with Avery Davis in the slot, and then Xavier Watts and Braden Lindsey rotating in and moving guys around, that's one heck of a receiving core. And throw Joe Wilkins in there, that's that's one heck of a receiving core. Should be one heck of a receiving core if you do it right. Brian Swint says, you have several you have several suggestions to help get the talented wide receivers playing time, all of them. Uh, what is the likelihood Brian Kelly has a self-awareness of his offense's limitations? Can Tommy Reese be trusted to adapt and be innovative? I don't think the issue is Tommy Reese. I really don't. I I think Tommy Reese had some first-year inexperience issues this year, which I expected to happen. I think he's going to continue to get better and better every year. The offense is what it is right now because of Brian Kelly, not because of Tommy Reese. And so do I have confidence that Brian Kelly had the self-awareness? No. Um, I'm hopeful. Well, I, I, I want to be optimistic, but he just hasn't shown the willingness to do that on offense. He has on defense, but he hasn't shown the willingness on offense. The reality is he just kind of, you know, I, I also think the fact that that there's people clamoring for him to make changes is another reason he won't. I think that sometimes he gets stubborn and he won't do things because people want him to. And that's just what he's done. I mean, it, this is what he's kind of shown. And I hope that I'm wrong. I hope he does make the changes. I hope that he lets Tommy Reese and the offensive staff kind of take over. I think that's what will happen. I'm going to have an article about that soon at Irish Breakdown. I'm going to talk about how, he needs to do on offense what he's done on defense, and that is trust the people you hired to 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 make the changes to get you where you need to get to. And he'll get all the credit. I mean, if they win a title, he'll get all the credit. He doesn't have to also get all the credit for calling plays and being a quarterback guru. Let let the people you hired do that. Bill Weber says, why do you think the Irish moved away from RPOs in 2018 through 2020 period? Um, I just feel it's kind of not really what Brian Kelly wants to do. I think that RPOs require you to give up some control. And what I mean by that is you make a play call, but how it gets executed a lot of times is going to be determined by the quarterback or the receivers. And and I think Notre Dame, Brian Kelly likes to be in a situation where it's like, we're going to make the call. We're going to determine what's going to do. And, and the way they teach it from what I'm told is a lot of times they tell the quarterback where to throw the ball which is another reason why you see the quarterbacks tend to hold on to the ball too long because the defense doesn't always do what you think they're going to do. And so then you tell the quarterback, this is where we want to go with the ball, but then that guy's covered, and now he's got to kind of think through it as opposed to just telling him, read the defense. Um, you know, I, I think of a, a t there was a time we were I was coaching back in, I think this was 2004, we were 
playing on the road and, you know, I'm up in the press box and our tight ends coach is up there and we say something down to the coach and, and say, Hey, we, we think we can really hit this, this slant slide concept. You know, they're basically playing cover three in the way that that guy is playing. We think we can hit a big play there. And so, uh, the, the tight ends coach goes, you know, tell the quarterback to look for the slide. And I said, no, tell the quarterback to read the flat defender. Uh, and the flat defender jumped the slide, which is where the tight ends coach told him to go. And he threw a slant behind it and we got like a 55 yard touchdown pass. So it's teaching him how to read the defense, read what's there, as opposed to saying, we're going to throw it here. He'll, he'll have an idea of, of what's going to come based on his preparation during the week of practice, but let him read the defense. And so I think, that's one of those things that has to change in how Brian Kelly coaches quarterbacks. But that's that level of control. He wants to to determine where the ball is going to go and what's going to happen. And, you know, I've been told that there's been times that, you know, he'll say one thing to the quarterback and then the quarterback gets on the phone with Tommy Reese and Tommy Reese is telling him something different because Tommy Reese is the one that was, you know, even as just the quarterback's coach was the one that was in all the game plan meetings, in all the prep meetings, doing all that stuff. Brian Kelly wasn't in all those. He's now telling the quarterback one thing. Tommy Reese and Chip Long are telling the quarterback another thing. That's going to screw with a guy's head, and that needs to change. And that's why he needs to stop being a voice in the ear of the quarterbacks, and he needs to let the guy he hired do that and and then give up some of that control. And if you do that, then it's a lot easier to, to add RPOs back into your offense. So that would be my guess. Again, I don't know the answer to that. I'm sure Brian Kelly would have a different answer for you as to why they don't do that. Um, but that's that's my read on the situation. That is going to wrap up the questions for the team questions and the offense, which means I'm going to that is going to wrap up part one of this mailbag. It is a bit long, so I'm going to have uh, the team and the offense be part one. Uh, part two of the mailbag is going to be the defense and recruiting questions. So make sure that you look for that. That's going to come out here very shortly. Uh, we'll have that here very soon at uh, irishbreakdown.com podcast or at our, and on irishbreakdown.com. So make sure you look for that. <laughs>
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.